to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slade. And I'm Reed Gann, and we're your hosts for Commission Ed. Colin, I'm looking forward to this episode today. I think this is an episode where people will find themselves in the situation being married to a member who is also part of the profession of arms. And it is like next level stuff, the amount of complications and situations you're going to find yourself in. So I think it's really good that we've brought a couple today who can help our audience understand just how complex this stuff is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we've demonstrated over the last year that being an officer is already just complicated enough. And then adding another officer to the mix, combining careers, just takes things to a whole new level. But up front, I want to give huge props to Kristen and Frank Dembia, who are handling the joint spouse relationship just amazingly. Their experience is incredibly instructive and valuable to our audience here and anybody who is considering or already part of the joint spouse program. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think with that, Colin, we should just get right to the interview. Well, welcome, Frank and Kristen Demia. It's wonderful to have you both here on the show. It is such an awesome opportunity for us to discuss together, especially given our current situation with uh, COVID and how it has caused us to be in multiple different locations on top of our military obligations. Here I am in Utah. Kristen, you are in Korea. And Frank, you're sitting happy and pretty there in sunny Hawaii, right? Absolutely. Thanks for having us on the show, Colin. Annyeonghaseyo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're super excited to have you both here on the show and to give us a much better understanding of what it means to be joined spouse. But before we get into that, I'm going to turn it over to you, Kristen, first to like, introduce yourself, give us an idea of who you are, where you're from, how you got into the Air Force, some high notes from your career, and then we'll turn it over to you, Frank, uh, to do the same thing in your career in the Navy. All right, over to you, Kristen. Sweet. Okay. So hi, uh, Kristen Dembia, formerly Kristen Ober. I was cadet at Air Force ROTC in the Ohio State University. So that's where Frank and I met. I did Civil Air Patrol in high school, decided it was for nerds, and I was never going to join the Air Force, you know, and eight years later, I commissioned, so there you go. My dad was an Air Force officer and thought it'd be worth trying out ROTC, and it ended up being a lot of fun. I still wasn't quite sure about it, and they handed me a scholarship, and I was like, well, you know, money is good, and if they think I'm good at this, I'm not good at many things, so I'll take it and run. 
and it's been a wild ride ever since. So after Ohio State, I got a degree in civil engineering, went to Langley Air Force Base and had a great group of mentors, did a lot of really fun things, did a deployment to Aldafra out of there, an F-15 crashed. And so we did a recovery op for that. Did a few cool things where we put a static display. We called it the F-15 on a stick. Did an exec tour at the group level. So did those things. But what I really wanted to do is I wanted to go back and teach. So while I was deployed, I found out that I got picked up to teach ROTC in Hawaii. Freaking dream come true. Best job in the Air Force. I did that for three years. And it is three years of 80-hour weeks, thankless tasks, constant paperwork and feedback and developing some of the best airmen, like the young future that you're ever going to see. So uh, I left that last year and that was, it was heartbreaking. My freshman class that started with me just commissioned this year. I did not get to go to their commissioning because of COVID. That was devastating. But, you know, three years of teaching was really cool just to watch that development. After that, I headed out to Korea and spent a year here. Uh, Frank will be joining me next year. Uh, so you might notice along that way, I didn't mention Frank too very much. He's going to talk about his life, but we spent <laughs> the first. it took us four years um, to actually be stationed together for a full 365 days. So it wasn't until we got to Hawaii that we were actually living in the same house for a protracted period of time. Yeah. So you guys are definitely like the perfect couple to talk about this type of stuff, you know, balancing the, the careers of two military officers. Yeah. Yeah. We can start comparing dates, but I'll let Frank go into his history and then you can kind of see where our timelines didn't fully match up for a hot minute. Yeah. Okay. All right, Frank. And I don't mean this derogatory in any sort of way, but over to you, LT. All right. Thank you very much, Colin. Uh, so <laughs> hi, everyone. Uh, Frank Dembia, a lot like Kristen. My dad was in the Navy, so uh, when I got to college, I figured I'd try the uh, the Navy ROTC thing. I was on college program for my first year. Uh, after that, I picked up a scholarship, just like Kristen. Finished out my, my four years at Ohio State on scholarship and then uh, joined the Navy. My first tour was the USS Bulkley DDG-84 uh, out of Norfolk. You were flying. You were at NFO. Yeah, so uh, I wasn't going to go into that, but Kristen <laughs> brought it up. <laughs> So I tried to select surface warfare uh, as my job out of college. The Navy said, uh, no, we really need NFOs, so backseaters to pilots. So you're going to go to flight school instead. So I spent nine months in Pensacola in flight school before I redesignated back to SWO. I said, no, no thanks, Navy. I really don't want to fly. That's okay. I'm good. So then I went to the USS Bulkley. And so as a naval officer, when you get to your first ship, you're basically a general purpose officer. You can be put into almost any first tour billet. So I, I bounced around a few times in my two and a half years on the ship. I started as the main propulsion officer, did that for my first deployment in the engineering section of the ship. After that, I did anti-terrorism force protection. And then for the second deployment, I did two deployments on Bulkley. I was the Tomahawk Strike cruise missile officer. After that, transferred, came to Hawaii. Uh, I was the navigator on the John Paul Jones, did that for a year and a half, two years, and then transferred to my shore duty out here as a detachment of the Pacific Missile Range Facility doing test launches and collecting data for those. So that's a brief bit of my history in the Navy. And my official last day in the Navy is Monday. So hooray me. 
Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Thank so you. what is next for you uh, as you uh, sail on out of the Navy? So that's an interesting question. So I've, I've got my resume finished up. I'm going to start applying to some government jobs. Project management field is probably where I'll end up, depending on if any bases in Korea are hiring or not. I'll try and apply to some of those. And uh, we'll see what happens with COVID and all that. But that's my next step. Yeah, COVID is definitely throwing a wrench in uh, a lot of people's plans. Uh, Kristen, what about you? Uh, what's your plan for the the near and the more distant future? You know, a big TBD. I uh, stuck with the full 20-year retirement, so I've got my uh, chips in for 20 years, and we'll see what happens with that. We decided when we got married, so if you looked at our timelines, we met freshman year of school. Both got our scholarships right before we started dating and went, okay, well, it's not like we're going to get married. (laughs) (laughs) Eight years later, here we are. (laughs) Right. That's like 12 now, Frank. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Half is hard. It feels shorter. Oh, look at you. (laughs) So I've already done the job that I knew I wanted, you know, and I got to go to the place that everybody wants to go to. So I've kind of knocked out the two obvious wants. And from here, it's a more a matter of, I want to do stuff that's fulfilling. And we're not probably going to talk about ROTC too much on this one, but we took ROTC when it was considered a quasi-career killer. Because if you are not a top 1% rock star, you're like everybody else. And so kind of in taking that, I made the assessment of, I don't care what I do for the Air Force as long as I'm enjoying my time and you know, it's really nice to be assigned with your spouse. So, you know, if we can get that, those are good things. And so that's kind of become my priority ever since is I'll do the job I'm supposed to do. But if I'm mentoring people, working with good people, and I've got Frank on hand, I'm going to be happy pretty much anywhere. So, of course, my current commander now wants to send me to Thule as a joke, slash, you might be serious, I'm not sure. Hey, I've heard <laughs> wonderful things about Thule. Uh, uh, you must have made him mad, Kristen. Uh, yeah, they just announced there's also a short tour to Cavalier, Clear, and Shemia Island in Alaska. Yeah, I was actually really interested in Shemia. I thought that one would be a, a lot of fun, you know, getting out there, out in the middle of the Pacific. Kind of like Frank, you know, much, much further north. Only if you really like the cold. Uh-uh. So it's it's kind of like Washington State. It's temperate. It doesn't get super cold, but it's five square miles. There's not a lot of bars in that area. You're right. There, is, <laughs> there are uh, not a lot of bars or really anything else. Yeah. So all that to say is I really don't know what my future holds. I'm currently asking to go FAO. I think that'd be super cool. I've been learning Korean while I was here. Of course, as a engineer, the Air Force told me I only need to speak MATLAB and Excel. So I don't, I never took a class in college as far as foreign languages. So not quite sure at some point, uh, the ops flight command is going to come up, but all that, if it doesn't work, I'll just go back to teach. I'll ask the Air Force to let me go be an AOC at the academy or something, you know, reserves as an option. The Air Force has pretty much made it where the 12 year group, they're going to keep me no matter how much of a scumbag I am. Well, it's nice (laughs) to know that you're not a scumbag. You know, knowing you personally, uh, you are not uh, someone that I would choose that particular adjective to describe you. So we're interested to see where you end up, both of you. We'll put a pin on that and wait for the eventual update on where you guys finally get to end up together sometime. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Well, let's go back a little bit. You both mentioned that you you met in your freshman year at the Ohio State, but you didn't give us any details. So how did it happen? <laughs> who hunted who? Who you asked the first question? You know, who, who asked who out? H how did it happen? Let us know. I would love to hear Frank's story first. I've got this one prepped because I answered all the time, but I would love to see hear Frank's version of the story. Alert, alert, alert. <laughs> warning, <laughs> warning. It, it actually started on the first day of classes. We both had the same calculus class together. So that's where we met uh, officially. We started studying. And uh, math is hot. Yep. And math is very hot. Definitely. Yeah. When you're one of three females in the class, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Math is really hot. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So Kristen had a boyfriend at the time. So it was not really an opening yet. But next semester, we had chemistry together. And so uh, see what I did there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> oh, the dad jokes are coming. Uh, that's that's uh, usually my elevator speech. We met in calculus, and the next semester we had chemistry. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, towards the very end of our freshman year, I, I don't actually remember if I asked you out or... You didn't. I got angry at you. <laughs> I don't remember this part. <laughs> you don't remember me ever getting angry at you because you're a very nice person. <laughs> Both of our families came out for uh, parents' weekend. So uh, my parents came out for that, and there was like a Ren fair. And so Frank spent the entire day with us and we had been hanging out, but Frank has never actually asked me out. So we're like back in the dorm room, like, cause we all hung out in his suite. Well, I'm like, hey. no, I, I thought both our families came because we they were... did. They did. Both of our families met, but there was a point where I was just like, Frank, are we dating? And he's like, yeah. It's like, are you going <laughs> to ask me to date you? He's like, do I have to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were already dating at that point because that's when we realized our families were the exact same. Oh, that's fair. That might be true. <laughs> she DTR'd you, man. She she really did. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of the few times that I'm aware of where the DTR didn't turn into destroy the relationship instead of just define it, you know? So props to you, man, for you know, <laughs> being able to survive that. This isn't the first time she's done something like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So you met and survived the DTR, made it through, and things just kind of progressed. You said you weren't going to get married. So when did you make that switch? Well, so we both got, let's see, my scholarship came in January. So I was still dating my high school boyfriend and he was not about military life, nothing in common. So kind of my scholarship in choosing the Air Force is what ended that relationship because I realized that I, I liked the values of service. And I want to say within the same week, uh, Frank called his father with a now infamous quote saying, I'm about to make you a happy man. Yeah, because uh, my parents really didn't want to pay the 40 grand a year out of state tuition to Ohio State. So getting that scholarship was, uh, <laughs> it made them quite happy. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, we called both of our respective parents, you know, independently. Um, our dads were beyond thrilled. And so we were like, you know, it, it's freshman year in college, you know, how you date a lot of people in college. So it's like, okay, well, I like you, you know, if this is important enough, we'll make it work. And if not, I'm not going to not date you just on the off chance. But it turns out that they give scholarships to awesome people. And Frank is 
is has been freaking awesome steady every step of the way and uh never really found a need to break up with him <laughs> it just kind of turned into a, okay are we doing this and then uh come my senior year so frank graduated a semester after me so my senior year i'm doing all that paperwork which you know one of the things is hey are you going to be married within six months of graduating and so like i was talking to frank i'm like so uh <laughs> but to be fair i had already bought the ring at that point <laughs> i just hadn't asked her yet <laughs> she dtr'd you again man <laughs> are, are you sensing a theme yet <laughs> this is awesome <laughs> yeah yeah it's like i don't i don't need to know too much i just need to know like do i check this box or not well of course i said yes check the box <laughs> At least that way, you kind of like already knew ahead of time that she wasn't going to you know, flat out just <laughs> yeah. turn you down, right? True. She gave you Very a heads true. up. <laughs> Took some of the pressure off. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Frank, how did you finally ask her? How did you pop the question? So it was one weekend we went to the, uh, there's this really nice conservatory in the, the center of Columbus that's kind of like a, a garden, botanical garden type deal. So we spent some time walking around there and then... Uh, yeah, and then I just asked her. Looking back, I probably should have put a little more thought into it. Not going to lie. <laughs> so what Frank is leaving out of this story, and I don't know if you're going to get this from the podcast, is that Frank is one of the most authentic people and therefore has no need to like exercise the nuance button. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what you see is what you get. <laughs> <laughs> so... We had gone to this botanical garden like at the end of summer and it was beautiful. You know, the leaves were just early beginning to change. Like everything was super awesome. And so, you know, we go back because like my parents had come up for parents weekend. They got discount tickets and they handed it to us. And so Frank's like, you know, there's not a lot of pretty things in the engineering campus. And we walked that. So let's go on a date. Girls love gardens. They're pretty and shit. So let's go. I'm sure this is what's going on in his head. He managed, to extract... <laughs> <laughs> he managed to extract himself from his best friend because for the entirety of college, the three of us went everywhere. I don't know who I had dinner with more, Frank or his roommate. <laughs> you know, because Frank was always busy doing Navy things. Like he was super busy doing between Navy and engineering. And so anyway, like we get to this park and it's right after the leaves have fallen. So, you know, it's still pretty, but the leaves aren't there anymore. And we start, you know, kind of doing this walk around. We're like walking in different areas. Frank is trying really hard to be attentive and conversate. And I remember like, so we found they were doing a glass blowing event and we're like, oh, that's cool. And then my parents call. My dad calls every Sunday at 12 o'clock. So we're in the middle of our date and my dad calls and I'm like, dad, I'm on a date. He's like, okay, well, your mom's doing fine and your brother's doing this. And it's like, dad, I'm on a date. He's like, okay. And so like, I, it's a 20 minutes where Frank is just sitting there hanging out while my dad's talking to me about family things. You know, when walking around, it's there's a little bit of art. Frank tries to take us over to this gazebo. Um, you know, we're gonna sit in this cute little picturesque gazebo. Well, it turns out it's in a corner, and on the downside of that corner is a garbage truck that's like actively emptying the dumpster. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> so you know, we like we sit down for all of five seconds, don't have a conversation, and Frank's like, "All right, well, we should keep walking." <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask though, real quick. Were you expecting anything by this point? So we had kind of talked about it. The summer before, Frank's family had taken me to San Diego, and we had talked about rings a little bit. 
so like you don't date someone for four years and join the military without having a decent idea. It's just kind of a matter of when. And I was like, hey, you know. And did you anticipate that it was going to be on this walk, listening to the garbage truck beep, 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 that pretty soon that was going to be the, the point where he would ask the question? Not necessarily, because, you know, Frank tries to be romantic all the time. It's just very funny because the nuance is always like, I'm holding your hand. I mean, like, that's about as good as it gets, right? Hey, that's as good as it gets for me. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we do this walk and there had been this beautiful uh, waterfall before when I'd gone there. And this time the waterfall was turned off and there was like a high school team doing a photo shoot. There are kids running around screaming everywhere. So you can tell that Frank is kind of like by this point, we've been on our date for a couple hours and Frank is looking for a nice location, right? He's looking for the place because I think I had told him I need to be able to tell this story. Uh, (laughs) People are going to ask me and I was like, so anyway, we're like, we're finishing up the event. I'm like, okay, well, this isn't the engagement, but you know, we went on a nice date and Rob's not here. So, you know, it's good. And then I'm being difficult as usual as we're leaving because the path kind of diverges. And Frank's like, let's go this way. I'm like, no, let's go this way. And Frank's like, no, we're going to go this way. So he goes on this copse of trees. It's like literally the last kind of scenic thing before we get to the car. And that's when he proposes. He pulls out this beautiful ring. And so I was like, we've done it. (laughs) And then we went to Bravo's and started calling people. Well done, Frank. You did it. We we do what we can. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So you got married. When did you get married? August 11th, 2012. That's when we got married. I do remember. Yeah, right after she graduated, right before I graduated, because uh, I, I commissioned in December of 2012, and Kristen in July, June? June. June, technically. June, technically, yeah. yeah. I considered putting uh, Lieutenant and Mr. Dembia on our invitations. Oh, uh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> Apparently yeah. you didn't, though. No, no, no my dad not and, quite. My dad and his dad didn't think it was as funny as I did. My girlfriends think it's hilarious. Yeah, I, well, I'm not your girlfriend, but I think it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so at what point did you learn about the joint spouse program and become familiar with the way that whole thing operates? And um, also, like, give us an explanation. What is the joint spouse program and how did it affect you guys? Yeah. Frank, did you do anything with that or was that all on me because I commissioned first? I think you're the one who did all of that because I, the only thing I ever did for that was I told my detailer, hey, we're in the joint spouse program. Station us together, please. <laughs> I don't know. Did did you do anything more than that? Yeah. yeah, I did a fair bit. That was the whole like when I asked you if I was going to be married, that was the first paperwork. So they could put me in joint spouse from commissioning. So the joint spouse program is a We acknowledge that you are formally legally married and the services will make an effort to assign you together. And if we fail to assign you together, you get $300 a month, kind of a hardship duty pay. And, you know, it it would cover like a plane ticket, essentially. So once a month, someone can fly to see the other person. So enrolling is not really like an application process. You just say, hey, I'm mill to mill. And it's really the same thing if you're Air Force to Air Force or cross services. It just means they're going to try that much harder. The Air Force tries significantly harder than the Navy in most things. But that's also part of why I chose civil engineering is almost every single base has a CE officer unit function. 
versus the uh, Navy, you sort of need water. Kind of important. And that's also why Frank was looking at SWO is surface warfare. It had a lot more options than if he was an NFO, he would have fewer bases he could go to. And so we were looking, you know, even, you know, as soon as we got engaged, where are the Air Force Navy options? Where can we be close? So we get in the program and then we still didn't get separation pay. Like I spent months trying to fight for separation pay because technically separation phase, you got to be stationed together and then separated by orders. But because we got married, I got orders and then Frank got orders. We had to work some logistics to say, hey, these are our ROTC orders saying we were stationed together at Ohio State, even though we were not active duty ever at Ohio State. Well, I was. Yeah, Frank was. The, uh, The Navy stashes officers, the Air Force does not. So joint spouse works better when you give the military branch a try, you give them a hand. So if I had been a pilot and Frank had been a different kind of Navy pilot, we could have been joint spouse all day. We would never get stationed together. Versus I was like, hey, I want to be a civil engineer. I'll go to Langley. It's right beside Norfolk. Frank and I were like, yeah, no one wants to be in SWO in Norfolk. Like if I do that, there's thousands of jobs. It's a huge base. We're definitely going to get it because nobody wants that gig. Well, that was the first flick off. You know, I'm not sure if we're allowed to cuss here, but, you know, forget you from the Navy as they went, oh, no one wants this job. Go be a flight officer in Florida. That's exactly how that went. (laughs) So I set us up for success as much as I could. And the Navy went, oh, that's nice. So they sent Frank to Florida and they would not let him quit pilot training until he got to training, got through a certain part of pilot training. But they couldn't do that because they had grounded all the jets for sequestration. So that timeline puts us at now 12 months apart because I left for my assignment while Frank was still in college. Frank finally gets reassigned to a ship in Norfolk. So sweet, joint spouse came through. The Navy hooked us up. And four weeks later, he was flying out to his deployment. Yeah, but they didn't really hook us up because my ship was on deployment. So as soon as I got to Norfolk, it was hey, here's your plane ticket. You leave in a week. Go land in Bahrain. The ship will pick you up. So yeah, did a few months that way. Frank got back. We spent like six months together. I had a deployment, spent a month together, and I, I might be getting this backwards, and Frank picked up another deployment. Frank nearly finished that deployment and got picked up for NAV. Mm-hmm. And then spent four months. Geez, how long did you spend on the road? Because you were living out of your suitcase for like six months. So on my second deployment, I transferred after five months of the deployment. So the ship was still over in the Gulf. Uh, I flew back, uh, immediately flew up to Rhode Island for school. They flew me from Rhode Island to Hawaii for a month. So I was on the ship for a month. And then they flew me back to Rhode Island for another school where I spent a month there. And then they flew me back to Hawaii. So I spent about three months living out of a suitcase before we actually got our condo here in Hawaii. Yeah. And Hawaii was another quasi joint spouse. So I put in for ROTC first and I picked schools again, where I knew, like I talked to Frank, I'm like, Hey, what schools are within a 500 mile radius of bases that a destroyer can go to? Where can you go? And the choices were Hawaii or Seattle. San Diego was not on the list, but that was our initial top choice. So we were gunning for San Diego, not on the list. Hawaii was, and I was like, well, F it. You know, like, 
if we can make that happen, that'd be sweet. But like, I was fully expecting to hit Seattle. Like I thought Seattle's where we were going. So uh, mid deployment, I see you've been a station to Honolulu, Hawaii. I was like, holy fuck, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I call Frank and Frank's detailer was like, for the Navy, it's a big base. They have tons of ships. So there, Frank found out like within a week that he was also going to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And so that was a joint spouse that worked out and it was freaking awesome. Yeah. How long were you two together for that one? Three years. Yeah, three years. Yeah. Frank's on year four. So they gave us the choice to extend. Well, Frank could extend because he did two tours. He did a PCA. Yeah. Okay. And so that's why Frank is still there because we figured I would knock out a year in Korea. I'd get assignment of choice, be able to go to Europe, and we'd have some cool, fun adventures there. Turns out when you're an officer close to major, your next assignment is staff. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So this is really all to say that joint spouse, while it exists, it is also extremely complicated. And it is a definite hit or miss over the course of a career. Yes, it you have to set yourself up for success and help them help you. So that's where if you're Air Force to Air Force joint spouse, you're working within an internal system. AFPC can handle everything. They work in the same building. That's fine. When you're working cross-service, you now have to meet the needs of both services. Both of us have to have a job at the next location, and they're not going to create a job for either of us. Um, So trying to set up the timeline of the cycle, trying to set us going to the same place, working close enough. Your detailer assignments officer will work with you, but they're working with thousands of other people. And so what you get to choose when you're mill to mill and especially cross branch is what is your priority? Because if you want to be job first, you can stay married. You just won't be together. And if you want to do marriage first, you might not have a job. So uh, Frank and I, we're literally doing both of those right now. We did Korea, so that way we could set ourselves up for the next assignment to be together. And Frank chose to get out because it took him three years in Hawaii to get back to the person I remember dating in college. Yeah, I mean, that gets more into the less technical details of the joint spouse program. And that in a great segue into where we need to go next is Yes, the joint spouse program exists. Yes, it does have the capability to get officers into the same or similar locations, even across services, but it's certainly no guarantee. And because it's no guarantee, that requires that you as a joint spouse couple or a joint spouse couple have to then work through a lot of these different things. What are you going to prioritize as far as your marriage, your career, your professional development. You guys don't have kids, but if you did, then there's that piece of it that you need to add into it as well, you know, considering how you're going to take care of them and their ongoing growth and development, schools and education, that kind of stuff. And so the question now is, how have the two of you balanced that? Or how have you managed it if balance is not a good word for it? And what sort of strategies have you employed to keep yourselves sane and still married and employed? So one of the things that we did is when we got married, we, I don't know if I talked to Frank about this. I talked to myself about this. We were going to wait till one of us was out to have kids. Yep. We did talk about that. 
Good. Okay. Because we knew we wanted to do a family, but Frank also knew that he was at sea all the time and stressed out all the time. And we knew that we wanted to do kids when we were ready to be parents, like an active, involved parents. Uh, yeah. And, and the other thing to kind of remember about this is just because if you're stationed together, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be together, right? So like Kristen mentioned earlier, we were, it took us four years to spend a year together. So you will almost always be spending some time apart if you're both in the military, whether it's opposite deployment schedules or what have you. In order to manage stuff like that, I, I think you do have to find a way to stay connected, right, to your spouse. So whether that's like setting up times to call or Zoom, Skype, what have you, stuff like that is something that will definitely help. But I mean, it's it's all personal dependent, right? Yeah, you do what works for you. And that's where, you know, so kind of talking about things you learn across branches. So everyone says the Air Force takes care of you. And when you're a cadet, you don't know what that means. But in talking to Frank, I've learned very much what it means the Air Force takes care of you. I went on deployment and not only did we have Wi-Fi in some areas, we had Wi-Fi everywhere. You know, when your time was off, your boss respected that off time, even on deployment. But Frank's deployments were not like that. What's this Wi-Fi you're talking about? (laughs) (laughs) He's on a ship in the middle of the goddamn ocean. Like I got one email a week and I got a phone call a month when they pulled into port. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, looking back, I I probably should have done more to stay connected during that time. You were exhausted. Talk about your hours. I mean, like the hours that you worked. So my first deployment, I was averaging less than four hours of sleep a night. Uh, There's no such thing as off time because it's it's like you're driving a car constantly for nine months straight, right? Somebody's got to be at the wheel. So I was in a three-section rotation, five hours on, 10 hours off, constantly for you know months on end on top of that you have to do all the paperwork for your group your division you have to make sure things run properly you have to make sure the maintenance is getting done all that stuff and not only that but you're learning your qualifications at the same time so it was rough (laughs) yeah and so that's the second part of forgiveness for poor communication and being able to understand your partner is huge because I mentioned earlier that Frank, you know, nuances in his thing, the emails I got are not these, you know, 10 page love letters of gush. It was, Hey, I love you. I miss you. And like, this is the emotional depth that I am capable of doing right now because I am so exhausted. So knowing that taking the time to understand what your person is going through, understanding that people give all they can. And if that's not your love language, maybe you need to take a chance to go to counseling and talk about it. You know, that's a time for you to grow as a person. So marriage is a chance for you to also grow yourself. So, you know, Frank is not there for my happiness. I'm not there for his happiness. We're there to make each other better, you know, for support and love and all those good things. But yeah, it's really hard to understand how miserable Navy life is until you're like, why can't you do this thing that like the Air Force can do? Like if you think Air Force gets things stupid, try talking to the Navy where their computer system is like 20 years old. Yeah, Kristen mentioned Wi-Fi. We had uh, four megabit per second uplink for an entire ship of 300 people and about five outside lines where you could call home from. And that was it. Amazing. And terrible. Amazing and terrible. (laughs) 
Yeah. So I, uh, I had a number of cadets who asked what it's like to be married mill to mill and, you know, and how do you do it? And my uh, tongue in cheek answer is, you know, just don't have expectations. And they're like, that's massively depressing, but also it's, my expectation was Frank was he was going to give me everything he could. Now what that might look like day to day, whether or not that was fully satisfying day to day might change, but at least knowing that that was everything he had and that's all he had ever promised. And that's all that mattered. Yeah, I see what you're saying about the expectations. Here's my take on it, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, because clearly I wasn't there. I was not part of your conversation and how you guys went through all this. But just from listening to the way you describe it, the thing that made it work and has continued to make it work over the course of time is not that you didn't have expectations. It's that you communicated what expectations you may have had. The important thing here was that you had lines of communication open. Even if it wasn't on 100 megabit Wi-Fi, if it was just a phone call once a month and an email once a week, the communication was there. And you guys had communicated sufficiently prior to that point to where, Kristen, you understood that this is what Frank is capable of doing. And that was enough from him to keep you going and keep the marriage going. Communication was key. Just like it is in any operation that we are ever involved in, any sort of relationship or any sort of task that we need to take care of as leaders guiding our airmen, communication is central and key to success. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I mean, maybe our communication wasn't as good as it needed to be back then. But I, I think that was part of a period of growth for our relationship. It's definitely gotten a lot better since then. That's that's how we moved through it, right? Yeah. And and I'd argue, you know, you're talking about joint spouse. That's going to be true for every young couple. That's why so many military relationships end in divorce. You know, I'm not going to say it was easy. It sucks. But there is also a point where you get to the thing of this is what we chose. This is the promise we made. It's not that we have uniquely good or uniquely bad communication. It's that everyone is going to go through that growth. Every single marriage is going to hit that. God, this sucks. Are we going to do this? Okay, let's talk about it. Let's acknowledge where, you know, I fucked up, where you fucked up, where we as a team can get better about it and move on. Yeah, I'm glad that you made that leap, drawing the connection that it's not just the joint spouse those who are in that type of program, that type of situation, it's all couples. It's all marriages. It's all friendships. It's all partnerships. It's all everything that you have to have communication open. Otherwise, it will fail. Exactly. The Air Force family has also been awesome for me. Uh, you know, I've found a few Bible study groups. And so the positive reinforcement, the people constantly asking how Frank was, you know, having a faith-based group for me was huge. Yeah. So kind of on that note, what are some of the other resources that you two have drawn on to help continue your marriage and your, your growth and development as a joint spouse? And I said joint spouse couple, what have you gained from each other's services? You know, Kristen, you reaching over to the Navy, Frank, you reaching over to the Air Force. How have you benefited from other things that are available to you outside of your immediate relationship with the two of you. Yeah. So, I mean, the interesting thing about stuff like that is you definitely get a different perspective when you see the different culture of the other service. 
it was kind of interesting when we were trying to decide on plans for the weekend when uh, we'd we'd come home and ask like, hey, uh, did you already make plans for this weekend? Are we hanging out with my friends or your friends? <laughs> I haven't done a whole lot with spousal programs, uh, stuff like that. I'll probably get more involved in the Air Force spouse programs now that I'm out of the Navy. But I mean, I, I know there are resources out there, so I, I, I might not be the best person to answer that question. <laughs> Fine. I got it. Don't worry, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so for the air force you've got the key spouse program which frank has done jack all with he's for the cadets and he just kind of looked at me it was like the spouses are all making cookies and he's like okay and like the navy has the frg so the family readiness group because when uh, the ship goes underway all of the pregnant women stay behind which are primarily civilian spouses and all of the men are gone so it is a ton of families that want to get together. Of course, when you are a childless military officer, the commonalities there were thin. But you begin to see that the, while the Navy doesn't necessarily take great care when they're underway, they do try. They try to keep families connected. You know, they do a newsletter to say, hey, here's what our sailors are up to. The Navy has some of the same family readiness programs that we do. So Frank and I have talked to a counselor a few times, which you know, I'm going to throw it out there, you know, the same as the mental health, going to see a mental health counselor, uh, going to see a family counselor with, you know, whether you got kids or not, just kind of having someone help open up those lines of communication because uh, your, your communication will crystallize and having someone whose profession is that can only ever be healthy for a relationship. Oh, cool. So what advice do you have for those who are currently in a joint spouse program, they are either married Air Force to Air Force, or maybe they're like you and they're married to another service officer, or maybe there's somebody that's listening to this show that is considering getting married to someone who is also an officer. What sort of advice would you provide to people in that type of situation? So one, just so you're aware that joint spouse is not necessarily O to O, it's any mill to mill. Yeah. So that's a good clarification. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I know that you're focused more towards folks on the commission ed side, but it can be any mill to mill. And so, you know, I know a number of people that were E to E and one of them commissioned and now they're E to O. And so for kind of what advice would it take to do that and choosing it? You have to be aware that marriage is not easy to start with. Being a military spouse is not easy to start with. Now you have to be a married military spouse with complete non-predictability, complete non-control of your life, understanding that both of you have promised to go to war, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Like I had a friend who was scheduled to fly home from deployment. He'd been deployed for six months, Intel officer. He called his wife saying, you know, hey, I'm on my way home. And, you know, the next day he's packed up, he's getting ready to go. And he gets a call saying, hey, stuff is about to go down. You cannot tell anybody until we've already done these attacks. So he has to call his wife saying, I'm at the airport. I'll see you in 10. She's in the air on the way to meet him at the airport. And he's not there for another four days. He can't tell her why. He just has to stand her up because there is a war. He can tell her after the fact. But, you know, she's already spent the money and she's already sitting in a hotel waiting for him. And this is a mill to sieve couple. But it kind of goes to show it. Both of those families could have that. Now you throw in kids in the mix, you throw in trying to take care of your pets. So the family network can be huge. Knowing that if I needed something, Frank's family was at least there to help out. If 
if my in-laws had been at all terrible people, I'm not sure. <laughs> but both of our families are more than excited to have us come over. So if I'm like, hey, we've got a break, they're like, everybody come over. So, you know, my in-laws and uh, my parents are both willing to hang out, which makes it easier for us to spend our time together instead of trying to be like emotionally exhausted, bouncing one from one family to the other. Yeah. So like Kristen kind of mentioned, flexibility is a huge part of it, right? Because you're, you're going to have life plans with your partner. You're going to have a direction you think things are going. And at the drop of a dime, the probability of that changing is pretty high. So definitely be aware that you're going to need to be flexible at some point. And then communication, like we've all already been talking about. You at least need to have a way to communicate with your spouse, even if it's after the fact, even if you can't say it right then. You've got to trust your spouse to communicate with you when they can. Yeah, it's a lot of getting over yourself. You know, you were talking, hey, Frank, what are you going to do when you get out of this? And Frank and I have known about this plan for at least a year. You know, we've known that he was going to separate. We didn't know about COVID. We had the option to extend. But there are things you just can't predict. And it's kind of the point where you have to set yourself up for success as much as possible and be ready to roll with the punches. Frank could have a job next month. You know, maybe he'll get hired somewhere. Maybe that job will be in Korea. Maybe it'll be in Texas. You know, I'm going to get an assignment somewhere. You have to be willing and able to roll with it. And yeah, talk through what you're going to blame the other person for versus what you're going to say, this is what we can accept as a family. I've known a lot of people who they have different needs in a relationship and it's not really a right or wrong thing, but if you need your spouse there when you're having a bad day, like they have to be there, this isn't the right choice. If you need your spouse to give you sympathy at all times, this is not the right choice. When you are both emotionally taxed and you know, it's regardless of any branch or any, any relationship, but in the military, for sure, being able to be, you know, vulnerable, relaxed, on the phone, dedicating an hour of time. My only free hour of time is the hour I'm getting ready to go to the gym. And almost every single time I talk to Frank, I leave my clothes behind. So I like end up not working out in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) Having that hour is, is not always possible either. So like in the Navy, you're, you're never alone. You have five outside lines for 300 people. You're never going to have privacy when you're talking on that phone ever. So I think the common theme here is that you're acutely aware of the fact that the world does not revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around you. Also does not revolve around you too as a couple that because of that oath that you have sworn either as an officer and the commission that you have received or in any military capacity, you have signed up to support something that is much, much larger than you as an individual and you too as a married couple. Absolutely. One more point that I think I would mention is that the understanding that your spouse is going to have bad days and kind of understanding what your spouse needs when they're having those bad days uh, and they come home uh, with that baggage. That's something you're going to have to work out with your spouse. And that just goes for any relationship, right? Uh, Especially joint spouse couples. Yeah. And when a deployment is three weeks away, do you push that conversation off or do you have it right here and now? Yep. And again, there it is. Communication. Communication so that you so you know your spouse, so you know how to help them when they are having that bad day. And communication when you need to have that conversation. Yeah. Oh, you know, I realize we've been talking about things that are in our control because that's usually where Frank and I focus on what we can do. Because 
you begin to realize the Air Force is going to use you how they feel. The Navy is going to use you how they feel. But you also need to make sure that you're letting your leadership know. So if you are talking to your leadership saying, hey, my priority is this assignment, give them a chance to advocate for you. If I had told my commander, hey, I can't do this deployment, it's going to be really bad for our marriage right now, I know he would have done something about it. The Navy is not so much like that. But, you know, flip side is, hey, we really need this assignment or I'm going to get out. If Frank can't get this thing, he's going to leave the Navy. So Frank has turned down a huge bonus with the Navy because it was just too exhausting. And he's like, I can't control my life enough that money is not worth my future. Right. Yeah. And it's, that's something that we have talked about many, many times on this podcast is that you as the officer need to define what success looks like for you. For some, that may be rank and position and specific opportunities within the military. Others, as you mentioned before, Kristen, that you weren't so concerned about where you were or what you were doing so long as you were enjoying the assignment that you were in. Yeah, that's definitely something that we've covered here and I'm glad that it came up again because it is that important. Well, I've got two more questions for the both of you. The first one is, if there is somebody out there that wants to get in touch with you to pick your brain about the joint spouse program, or maybe they want to know something about the different career fields that you are in. Frank, you as a surface warfare officer in the Navy, Kristen, you as a civil engineer for the Air Force, if they want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? So for me, I'm on the global, I'm the only Dembia in the Air Force, and now the only Dembia in the military. That's Frank. <laughs> Yep. And then uh, for me, it would be email as well, but I, I am no longer in any global. So it would be my last name, Dembia, Delta Echo Mike, Bravo, India, Alpha, dot two at gmail.com. Awesome. Great. Yeah. We'll make sure that those are in the, the show notes so that people can get in touch with you. All right. Last question for the both of you. We're going to let Frank go first on this one. What does it mean to be an officer? That's a very good question. And Honestly, if, if you're thinking about becoming an officer, if you are an officer, you need to have an answer for this and you need to remember it when you're going to have those bad days. So it is about service to your country. You're signing up to defend our constitution. It is about protecting all of our rights and freedoms that other people around the world don't enjoy. Um, and that's, that's what really makes America special. And that's why we sign up. You want to marry me, Frank? <laughs> Uh, I'll marry you again. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> There's a reason I married Frank. All right, Kristen. Same question. What does it mean to be an officer? That, that's really what it is, is uh, you can serve in any capacity. You can be a leader in any capacity. You know, I the same qualities I look for in a lieutenant are what I look for in a staff sergeant, tech sergeant, mass sergeant, hire. But what officership really means is to know what the mission is of America and why America is the greatest power in the world. We make mistakes. People are fallible. No one is without sin. But also knowing that you have a role in shaping, defending, protecting, and ensuring that continues. It, being able to be a part of that and to move us forward, to take the ideals of our nation and try to execute them to the best of our ability, and to schwack the hell out of anyone who would get in our way. <laughs> yes. Can we put that on a t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> I had a cadet who said he was going to make a notebook of my quotes. I don't think he ever did. It's probably for the best. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, we'll just have to bring you back on 
and just give you the opportunity to, to use your best one-liners. <laughs> just set me up. Give me some Navy jokes and I'll hit you with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have to do a, a bonus episode. You know, everything that Kristen wanted to say about the Navy, but didn't. <laughs> Sounds good. Sorry, that, that could be a three-hour podcast. well very good it's been a pleasure having you both here on the podcast really appreciate your time and your expertise and your commitment to each other to our air force and navy to our country and helping our audience better understand what it means to be in the joint spouse program to be an officer and doing whatever it takes to make sure that we achieve the mission on behalf of our country Thanks for the opportunity, Colin. This is a cool adventure that you've started up. I was really excited to see that you had reached out about it. I know that I've talked about my story a fair bit, but uh, being able to kind of do this at the same time as Frank, is super fun. Um, I always love to embarrass Frank on the public forum and Frank is so freaking awesome. He just takes it and smiles. <laughs> right. <laughs> Colin, thank you so much for having us on the show. This was a lot of fun. So thank you. Absolutely. Hey, we're excited to see what happens for you both, and we'll see you out there in the wild and the deep blue. Colin, I have a confession to make, and we just got to get this out of the way right off the bat. What's that, Reed? So for my entire Air Force career, all whopping nine years of it, I thought it was the joint with a T spouse program. I did not know it was the join without a T program. And as I was, you know, hearing Kristen and Frank kind of talk about that specific point, it made me realize how bad it would look for a leader or even just a peer to be trying to listen and get to know a fellow officer who's in the join spouse program. Yeah. And you can't even say the name right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, how, what, what does that say about your give a crap factor for them and their situation? Yeah. Right. We've all been in a situation where someone is saying your name wrong and you're like, you don't know me. <laughs> and I now value what you're saying much less because you can't even take the time to pronounce my name correctly. It kind of reminded me of that. So, wow, huge guilt that I feel now for everyone that's in the join spouse program for me calling it joint this whole time. Yeah. You know, but I, I can't say that we've done the joint spouse uh, program any favors by having a air force captain married to a Navy Lieutenant talk about the joint spouse program, because that is a joint marriage, you know? Yeah. Okay. You're splitting hairs there, but I think the point is if we put on our, you know, serious hat for a minute here, I think it is important to know and recognize that tiny little thing that we just pointed out, the massive impact it can have on the people you're trying to lead. Just think about that. If you're their, you know, their flight commander or the DO and they want to have a meeting with you to get your insights or some feedback and you're reading their profile and stuff and trying to get caught up and then you pronounce their name wrong. You know, like just think about the impact that's going to have on them. And this program and the importance it has for the people who are part of it is no less important to them in their careers. And I think the Demias did a really good job of outlining that. Like this is a huge part of their career. 
Yeah. And it has been the whole time, you know, from the very, very beginning, even before they had earned their commissions and entered active duty, they were already having conversations and recognizing that this program, the joint spouse program was going to be part and parcel to everything they did as officers in the Air Force and then in the Navy. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where we wanted to start next, right? Is talk about that communication, because that was a really big part of their discussion with us today. Yeah. I mean, it impacted the assignments that they hoped for, their decisions to pursue promotion or various developmental opportunities. It even had an impact on their conversations about having children. Yeah. Communication. They talked about how important it was and how it's something they had to work at and it's something they're continuing to work at. And irrespective of your relationship status with other human beings, communication is a big deal. Yeah, we always talk about how the first thing that's going to cause a mission to fail is a failure to communicate. So communication across an operation or across a unit has to remain high and in good quality in order to enable the success of the mission. But what we didn't talk about in the interview that we need to discuss here is how communication actually breaks down. So let's look at the things that have to be in place in order for communication to actually take place. There has to be two parties that are actively participating in the communication. It doesn't necessarily have to be verbal. It could be written, but there has to be two parties involved. It cannot be one way. Otherwise, you don't know that communication ever really took place. Yeah. Those are just what we call like announcements, right? If you're just standing out and shouting at the sky, if someone happens to hear, you know, okay. But yeah, like you said, you got to have two parties and they got to be both involved. Yeah. It's like the, the TV screens, the displays up in every hallway and bathroom in every Air Force building, right? You know, just continuously scrolling through the different messages, but does anybody actually pay attention to them? Probably not. Yeah, exactly. So that's the first thing you have to have in place is the, the two parties. But then once that's in place, there are four ways that the communication can break down. The first one is that the message is actually never communicated to begin with. It's never delivered. The second one is that the message is not received. The third one is that the message is received, but it's not understood. And then the last one is that the message is not true. Yeah. And I think the reason we really wanted to bring this out and highlight it in this specific episode is when you have two officers who are trying to manage disparate careers and even with the Dembias, right? Two literally different services. The level of complexity is through the roof and they did a really good job of highlighting the importance of communication. We just wanted to point out, you know, the intricacies of how it can go right and how it can go wrong. And in particular, I think, and this kind of leads me to the next point. I really loved how they used this communication to set themselves up for success. And what do I mean by that? So when it came to time, you know, to work assignments, right? Navy's got to work with their detailers. We have to work with our assignments officers. They have to work with each other to kind of define what their goals are. They chose to work together with all of those parties and help the system to help them. And communication is the key to make that work, period. End of discussion. Without effective communication, the number of parties involved, 
the number of moving pieces. There's just no way that's going to work unless everybody's on the same page. And that's what good communication can do. Yeah. I do want to add just one more thing to that. The attitude that they brought to the communication is also key and important because you can clearly communicate a message, but with the wrong attitude. And that is not going to help you be successful within the system that the Air Force and the Navy have set up. Yeah, totally concur. I'm really glad you brought that up because that was a really important part of that aspect of their interview is how they had the attitude of this system is what it is. We are in a joint spouse program, which makes everything more complicated. They could have chosen, and some do, and you and I have seen that, right? Some do choose to just fight the system, to try to get whatever it is that they really want. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't have goals and shouldn't strive for what they really want in life. I'm not saying that, but just in the battle between military assignments and your dreams and hopes and wishes late breaking news flash <laughs> you will lose that fight <laughs> just get it out on the table right now like if you are joining the military because you've always wanted to live in germany you don't know that that's going to happen i hope it does i've lived in some wonderful places colin you still haven't forgiven me for my assignment in hawaii nor will i ever i know i know but well, all i'm getting at is i didn't join for the explicit purpose of doing those things and having those specific locations. I'm glad it worked out for me. That's been fantastic. But you will lose that battle. I'm just, it's going to happen. You're going to lose. Yeah. I really appreciate what you're highlighting here. I mean, this just is a, another way of looking at the importance of determining your own success, but at the same time working within the system as it exists, understanding the unwritten rules and the written rules, it, it all just kind of comes together in this super complex program known as the Joint Spouse Program. Yeah, this is just all of that rolled up into one, turned up to 11, 100%. No, exactly, Reed. The Joint Spouse Program takes the hardest job in the Air Force, which is being a spouse to someone who's wearing the uniform and taking it to that entire next level. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a super important point. And I think it might be good for us to explore just a little bit why you and I both agree that being the spouse to or life partner, or, you know, in a committed relationship with someone who is in the military. Why is that so hard? And I like to think of it this way, right? When I move, I literally have a phone number and a name and an address of where I'm going to be spending a huge portion of my time. I have a doctor. I have a dentist. I have a desk with a computer on it that works most of the time. I know what I'm going to be doing roughly. And I have a built-in set of friends because when I show up at my unit, I'm going to look at other people who are like me, committed warriors, you know, in the defense of their nation. And we all have a common bond. We all went through some sort of military training. We've all, you know, many of us have deployed. We, we all have these shared experiences. So when you show up, and you see someone dressed like you, you're like, ah, these are my people, right? It's built in. But that doesn't happen for your partner. They got to get a new doctor. They got to get a new dentist. They got to get the kids in school. They got to find a new, I mean, the list goes on. And I'm not saying that military member isn't contributing to those things, but that psychological and social network 
that they had is now gone to a large degree. Yeah. I mean, when we're talking about the joint spouse, that kind of network, that support group, that tribe does exist for both officers. But there is a balancing act that has to happen between the two of them. And we heard a little bit about that between uh, Kristen and Frank. But to your point, when they move, that all has to start over again for, for both military member, but definitely for a civilian spouse who is not wearing the uniform, who has never worn the uniform and does not have that same level of understanding. It is by far the most difficult job in the Air Force because they are absolutely in the Air Force every bit as much as the person who's wearing the uniform. Just, I would say that just like we've described, right, uh, being a, a member of the profession of arms is not a job, it's a lifestyle, and that includes your family and loved ones. So uh, you'll often hear spouses say, we, when we were assigned. And, you know, we could go on and on about whether that's right to say or not, but it's a real thing for a lot of people. They feel vested. It encompasses so much of your spouse's life that they can't help that. And we need to recognize that. As a person wearing the uniform, we need to recognize that and create a culture and a system and processes that will enable success for our airmen because that's what matters. You know, our people matter. And when they have a spouse that's also in the military, as a leader, you have to be aware of that. You have to recognize that everything is harder. Everything is harder. Oh, I need to get a new assignment. Oh, it's time. Oh, okay. Now it's everything's, it's like double almost with everything. And we owe it to our folks to do that. We absolutely owe it to them to not make it harder as best we can, right? We should do everything we can to remove barriers, to set them up for success so that they can have the life that they want. Yeah, absolutely. We as leaders, as officers in the Air Force, and if there's any other joint service brothers and sisters out there listening to this, the same is true for you as well, to create that culture that's going to enable your people to succeed. But on that smaller, more intimate level, you need to do that for your spouse, whether they are another officer, another enlisted member, or that a civilian who is supporting you while you wear the uniform. You need to create that culture there too that's going to translate into success for them as well as you. And then be aware that there will come a time that you need to take the uniform off. The same is true also for the spouse, for the life partner, for the stakeholders in your life that they may one day say, it's time to be done and you need to be prepared for that. Yeah. And I think that leads us to our, our last point, Colin. Now, you and I are not joint spouse. Our spouses have not worn the uniform. So this is not something you and I have personally experienced, but we've both discussed how we've known a lot of couples. And it is a very common conversation that joint spouse couples are having that it is very common for one of them at some point to make the decision maybe earlier than they would otherwise prefer to have to get out of active duty or, you know, to transition in some way out of 
the career that they've chosen. Man, I, that is just hard. All, everything about it is hard, right? And it is common enough that, I, gosh, it's hard. I've seen probably two couples my whole career that had made it to 06 as couples. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying don't you know have goals and work hard. I'm not saying those things. But the numbers appear to show that at some point, one spouse or the other is going to have to make the call. And that's just tough. I, I just think that's really hard. It's tough on you. It's tough on the spouse. It's tough on it. kids. If there are some, it's tough on the extended families who are continually providing support uh, to one or the other or both. Like what you've already said, we are not telling you you can't do it or you shouldn't pursue it. It's just we are trying to communicate the realities of the joint spouse program and what it means to be married to another military member, especially another officer, and try to pursue that traditional measure of success of putting on 05 and 06. It's possible. It's just very difficult to achieve and fairly rare. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a good way to, to kind of summarize that point. It's already hard enough. It's just going to be harder, but, but like a lot, like a lot harder. Uh, that's fine that's fine right i don't want i don't want our audience to think like i'm i'm not okay with doing hard things right that's not what i'm trying to communicate but yeah challenging situation if you are contemplating marriage to another active duty member i'm a huge fan of marriage it's brought me a lot of joy in my life i highly advocate the institution just talk to some folks find those couples that have what you want and talk to them Give them mentorship and guidance. Uh, absolutely find and seek those people out that have achieved, like you said, whatever you've defined as success, find them and, and try to pick their brain and kind of see if this is something that, that you and your partner are up for. Yeah. And you can start with Kristen and Frank. Their information is provided in the show notes. You can go back and listen to this episode again. I would highly recommend it because there are those pearls of wisdom and experience that they've already lived for you that you can draw on and use to make more informed decisions. Reach out to them. If you have anybody in your circle that is in a similar situation, please share this with them. Engage with us in the Heritage Room to talk about your personal situation and we can all work together to set you up for uh, success in your career as an officer in the joint spouse program. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Colin, for setting up that interview. Thanks for Chris and Frank for joining us. I uh, really appreciate it. Anything else before we wrap up today? Nope, that'll do it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Commission Ed.